Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Mark. Mm -hmm. I've been saying for years that Ping help you play your best because that is exactly what they've done for me throughout my entire career. And now I've been having a look at the new Blueprint S and T irons, and boy... They are impressive. So much so that I've got the new Blueprint S irons in my bag at the moment. So what do you like about them so much? I mean, I've never seen you this excited about a golf club. Well, I could go through the specs, which are exceptional, but I won't. I will say, though, that if you're looking for more ball speed and if you want to lower your scores, if you want to mix and match and still look great, you should check them out because the new Blueprint S and T irons, they are definitely worth a look. Nice. Just book in with your local golf shop or professional to arrange a ping club fitting. It's week 15 of the golfing calendar, and we're still recovering from an incredible US Masters. And today, we break it all down. Live from the Australian Golf Centre, home of the PGA of Australia and Golf Australia, this is Nick O'Hearn. And today, a special guest co-host who's a tour pro of 14 years with a big win under his belt. We'll let Nick tell you all about him. This is Talk Birdie to Me. Now, I was thinking the other day, when was the last time we played golf with our wives out here? Can you remember? (laughs) Uh, it's been a few months now, I reckon. Yeah. Well, they play a lot together, don't they? They do. They got their nine and wine club and <laughs> hard to get into that, actually. Yeah, it is. They, uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't mind uh, having a drink as I go around, but, you yeah. know, if you're allowed to. Well, well of course. It's uh, nine and fun. Maybe wine after or, or during, that's always yes, good. Yes, yes. For sure. But um, obviously, you know, we're here for the Masters recap. And uh, to our listener out there, we have a different voice in the studio this week because my usual cohort is um, having a week or two off uh, for a scheduled clean-up. So I brought in a special guest, a very close mate of mine, and actually he might even be the perfect guy to fill in because he owns a jacket of his own. (laughs) (laughs) And The golden jacket. The golden jacket. I speak of none other than the 1999 Australian Masters winner, possibly hit one of the greatest Six irons into the final hole of a golf tournament, Dan, okay, uh, to win the golden jacket over the great white shark, Craig Spence. Welcome, mate. Oh. Good, good to be here, Nick. Um, sorry I, I miss Marco on this one because um, I've, I've known him for a long time. But, uh, no, you have. Yes, the, I've been dining out on the golden jacket. It's really the yellow jacket. <laughs> the yellow really. jacket. The golden's oh. a little bit special. Australian gold, my been, friend. Very much so dining out on that for uh, too long, but I continue to do it oh, comfortably. Absolutely. Craig, can I ask you a, a question? Of course. So you, you beat the Great White Shark. Yes. You beat Tiger Woods twice. Yes. Are these the two stories you guys each dine out on? <laughs> yes. Oh, of course. But what, what's Mark done again, by the way? <laughs> yes. Led um, 17 New Zealand Opens um, into the final round. That's what Mark's done. Never, oh, there you never go. Never quite okay. closed any never, of them, but he no. had a go. That's a shame. Now, okay, do you uh, do you wear it out out of interest? Do you go uh, out for dinner or? No, you, you, I think you know the answer to that. Oh, come on. It's not a Maybe a costume that, party, right? Well, it doesn't blend in overly no. well, does no. it? I mean, seriously. Maybe the old golf dinner, you know, 
you do a speech or something. Anyway, it's great to chat with you, mate, because we, we, our history goes back a long way. And uh, yep. And fortunately, you watch the Masters, which is awesome because yes. I know you don't watch a lot of golf these days, watch, do you? I don't watch a lot of golf, <laughs> but uh, I've always loved watching Augusta. It's, I was thinking this week, it's like a visual just extravaganza, isn't it? It's like a, a party going on visually. The colours, the, the, the oh. flowers, the green, you know. I've only been there once. I went there the year that Adam Scott won it. You did go. Fantastic. Um, and it's, well, that's a good year to pick. I, I just <laughs> I just tell people it's, um, and I mean, I'd been told for years two things, how hilly it is, which it was, and it was exact, it was as hilly, if not more than I expected, and also how good a facility, you know, how good of a, a turnout. I think it's the greatest sporting event that I've been to in full stop. I'd have to agree with you there. It is. It's just special. It's golfing nirvana, utopia, whatever you want to call it. As soon as you get inside the gates, it is just unbelievable. Inside those gates, it is crazy, but the golf tournament is just so special. It's the only major where they play at the same venue every year. My only other favourite major to play in, in that sense is the Open at St Andrews. If you can mm. play the St Andrews at the Open, that's probably a little bit above it for me personally. But the Masters then sits right there next to it, I'd say. And what a tournament it was. I mean, John Rahm, what yep. a beast. I mean, the funny thing about the whole event was how, what's the right word? I mean, it was in the stars almost. Seve Ballesteros, his childhood hero, and I spoke about it obviously all through the broadcast, 40th anniversary of his win back in 83. Sunday was his birthday or would have been his birthday, his 66th birthday. What did he have, a fortune cookie that opened 10 years ago or something? And he wrote down, I'm going to win the Masters and posted that. It was just all in the stars, basically. And the performance he put on on that Sunday and, well, over the four days, to be honest. I mean, we probably need to sort of go back almost to round one and, and start there, I would say. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about all the players as we go through and we go along. But, but day one was something else. I mean, the forecast was never going to be good, so you needed to get the right side of the draw. Yeah. Kepka certainly did. Yeah. You know, he uh, he had that late early, which worked out perfectly. Rahm, funnily enough, was on the opposite. He had the morning late. And, and that's the thing with golf tournaments. It's the draw can play such a huge part. But conditions were soft. And we yep. had the three players. What did they shoot? It was Rahm, Kepka, and Hovland shot 65 first day, seven under. But I want to ask you about something that happened out on the golf course on the 15th. Mm. Uh, the talk of the town was on that first day, even into the second day, uh, Brooks Kepka and his caddy. Yeah where, you know, possible rules infraction. Well, we know it was a rules infraction now. What did you think of the whole scenario? I mean, and, and for our listener, so if you didn't watch it, which, I mean, why are you listening to this if you didn't watch it anyway? <laughs> uh, you know, the caddy, his caddy, Ricky Elliott, uh, yelled out to uh, Gary Woodland's caddy, Brendan Lawler, look, uh, five iron, five. Yep. You know, he hit the five, basically. Yep. And, and that happens, right? Yep. I played for 14 years, um, basically from the start to the finish, right? You were longer. I don't remember too many tournaments where the caddies didn't give each other information. Yeah. Mm. The way they usually would do it is they would hold their fingers on the wood cover. If it was a three iron, they'd hold three fingers out. Yep. If it was a four iron, obviously four fingers. Um, well, they might show the club, you know, they after show they the, clean it. They hold the club up. <laughs> Sometimes they blatantly just said five iron as they walk <laughs> past them. Five o'clock was another one. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good one. You'd often would hear them discussing clubs as they're on the tee or on the fairway beside you anyway. So I thought it was a huge – there's no doubt that technically it's a rules infraction, but I thought it was a huge beat-up. There's no way, in my opinion, that Kepka or his caddy cheated. If anything, they were – you know, 
they were doing what is culture mm. on every tour around the world. And yep. I got, I got a bit, there's not an event or a round that I played in where it didn't happen. Now, a good friend of both of ours, Mike Clayton, was was busy on Twitter this week. <laughs> oh, yeah. Clayton's. And he reckoned it didn't happen. So I can't wait to see Seriously? Clayton's next time because I'm like, were you literally not watching any <laughs> other caddy for your entire career, Clayton? Because it is everywhere. And the caddies do other things. So my take on this is absolutely that is what happens on the tour. Wilbur, you know, my old caddy, um, you know, um, <laughs> would would give it the old oh, club this way, whatever, yep. you know, put the fingers, as you say. My, very rarely mouthed or actually n- never said anything. Uh, it was more just a, a glance or something like that, giving them a nod, a shake or whatever, if the other caddies sort of pointing fingers, things like that. We know what happens. Yep. Obviously, that's a, a rule out on tour that in the rules – uh, is is giving advice which is not allowed. However, it's kind of an unwritten code, as we know. Now, if he – and it's a weird thing to say, but if yeah. you get away with it, which the players and the caddies kind of know, the players never do it, right? No. It's always the caddies just doing their own little thing. So the players are kind of oblivious at yep. the end of the day. And I, I kind of re- – uh, you know, someone said a very good thing about it that I heard. It's, it's like speeding. Everyone does it, but if you get caught, you've got to pay the fine. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. So – when they showed the video evidence afterwards and then they, you know, discussed the Masters, discussed with uh, Kepka and Woodland, no, 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 we didn't. Well, hang on. Now, that is blatant lying. That is we true. know they did. <laughs> That's I, true. I actually think he should have said, like, yep, yeah, no, okay, we got caught. Yeah, yeah. We got caught speeding, got to yeah. pay the fine. Should have been a penalty. That's my own personal really? opinion. However, if – now, I'm not saying, you know, you should be trying to do it. It's just what happens. Yeah. It's an un, unwritten rule out there. But uh, it was a bad look for him, I think. The thing that I was really worried about was that if come Sunday, Kepka wins by one or yes. two, and then all of a sudden, hang on, we're going to revisit this whole thing again, and that would have been pretty ugly. But as it worked out, it was okay. Why would they share this information that would give the, the other player an advantage when – they're in a competitive tournament attempting to beat everybody. Mm. Mm. It's a good question. I mean, I was thinking about this. I've seen Nick O'Hearn or whoever on the practice fairway helping another player the night before the second round or the night before. It's kind of in the culture to some degree. A caddy will run across and help rake bunkers if his player, if, if a player's had a couple of bunker shots yeah. or he's having a bit of a mare. There's a camaraderie out there to help each other to, without infracting, you know, without yeah. leg- legitimately cheating, right? Yeah. The yeah. reality is it's not it's not going to change your life, the information anyway. No. Did he hit a low squeezy <laughs> fade with a 7-iron or 5-iron? Exactly. Did he hit yeah. a high – you know, the famous Ben Hogan story, right, where the, the young rookie asks him what club he hit on 16 at Augusta and he pulls out five different clubs and hits them all pin high. <laughs> and he says, which club do you reckon I should have hit? <laughs> You know, it's it's depends on how you hit it, why totally. you hit it, yep. and how much energy you gave it to some degree. Yeah, I love people looking in my bag to see what I hit because I was usually <laughs> one or two clubs shorter and I might be hitting a cut, a draw. As a lefty, it didn't really – I was watching right-handers most of the time and they're hitting draws. I'm like, well, hang on, how does that translate to what I'm doing? Yeah. I never worried about the club. I just sort of worried about the contact and the sound and things like that. So that – that was never an issue. And to the same point, you know, you throw your ball to the other caddy to wipe wipe the ball yep. when your caddy was busy. I mean, is that helping the other player? There's little things like that in the game, which just are, are, are part of the golf, really. So Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I would say that in my – I don't think I've ever heard of anyone getting penalised for it. Have you? No, I certainly So haven't. this would be the only penalised <laughs> – version of this I've ever heard of. Craig Spence with me in our Masters recap pod this week. Day two, yep. we had some trees down. Wasn't that oh unbelievable? I mean, this golf course, 
it's it's one of those courses which you know we've discussed how good it is when you walk in there it's like you're in disneyland basically and a lot of those trees they bring them in and they just plant them you know right. not not too far ahead of the golf tournament they look like they've been there 100 years but trust me they haven't been so i'm surprised this actually hasn't happened yeah. before with all the rain the soft conditions the three trees that fell down when i was watching the footage it looked as though there was a couple of people in between them when they fell. And I thought, how the heck did they not get hit? But maybe I was seeing things. I don't know. Minwoo Lee and uh, Harrison Crow were on the 16th green at the time. Yeah. Or on the – no, uh, just walking off 17T or around that area yep. anyway. And they, you know, they were almost fearing for their own lives as well. So It was unbelievable. I, I couldn't help but think, I'm sure you did too, about the, the consequences that we, mm. we, we barely escaped – what would have happened to the golf tournament? Maybe the show goes on, but what would have happened had someone not been able to get out of the way? Mm, um, I don't want to I think. think. I think that the, the committee probably got a little a little um, warning mm. and they'll be checking. A lot of tree testing went on between be, well, day the, two and three, I'd the say. The amount of time and effort they've put into their greens yeah. and money, I dare say that they may put that into some of the trees from, from this point going forward. Oh, it's, it's incredible what they do around there. So here's a little story for you. One of the masters I played, we had a storm come in and uh, on that night there was a restroom behind the seventh tee, I think it was, like a toilet block. It got destroyed. I mean, lightning coming in, trees fell on it, collapsed. Next day, guess what? Brand new restroom there. They oh, rebuilt oh, it. Wow. They either rebuilt it or they come in and they brought a new one in and it didn't look any different. I mean, it looked as though no storm or nothing had gone through there. It was the most bizarre thing I've Overnight. ever seen. Overnight. Oh, my God. I mean, the amount – and, and if you watch that, when when those trees fell the other day, there was like 30 guys there, boom, in, yeah. chainsaw, bang, boom, 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 yep. just cleaning it all up like that. And it was though it never happened. I mean, mm. it's just – if a tree falls at Augusta, does it really fall? I mean, <laughs> it's one of, it's one of those uh, stories. Imagine right? if so, on that hole at the time when it fell, or they fell, that Tiger or Rahm oh. or Kepka was yeah. there. Well, yeah. Luckily, I'm, and, and no, no offence to Minwoo Lee or Harrison Crow, but they yeah. didn't have as big a crowd as uh, as what possibly could have gone on. But anyway, uh, it was Kepka at that point who stamped his uh, his his authority on the golf tournament. Yep. Obviously, with uh, with another fine round. What did he shoot? Sixty seven, I think, the second day after the sixty five. So. Yep. He, uh, but Ram played some incredible golf in such touch, tough, tough conditions, which went into Saturday, obviously. And then the weather that Saturday, my goodness, oh. that was miserable. And as we saw, Tiger Woods made oh. the made the cut. Wasn't that was brutal? Wasn't that an effort? Wasn't that, was, that an effort? It was an unbelievable effort. So he now joins, I think, um, Freddie and. Uh, was it someone else? Gary Player. Gary Player, of course. <laughs> there's, Gary Player. There's motivation had to for be you. Gary Player. <laughs> with, <laughs> had to I be, think, yes. how many? How many? Uh, the Black Knight. 23? I think it was 23 in a row or something. 23 in a row. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. It was, it was painful to watch Tiger, though, in that event. Um, for him walking around that golf course so hilly with his legs the way they are now, his body in general the way, mm. they, the way his body is. Then you throw on top of that the soft, moist conditions. He's going up hills. He's going across hills. The pain on his on his knees and legs must have been immense. Mm. There was a lot of speculation on social media. Is this it for him? Is is he? How much more has he got in him? Uh, I was pleased to see a lot of people said things like, "Walk away now, and you've done you've done more than anyone could ask for in terms of what you've given us as a competitor, as a yeah. golfer. It's all we could ever ask for. What you've done. So, does he need to push on from here, Nick? Well, I mean, when he won the 2019 Masters, that was pre-car accident. We kind of thought, wow, I mean, this guy's back. It's unbelievable. And then, obviously, the car accident, maybe it was time. However, 
that's just not in his DNA. Yeah. At the same time, the Masters is the worst possible golf course for him to play as far as a, from a physical standpoint. Mentally, it's one of the best because he knows it so well and it's also why Mickelson played so well this week, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But from a physical standpoint, it was an absolute nightmare for him mm. because of the, the elevation changes, yeah. the hilliness of the golf course, the weather. I mean, it was cold. It was miserable. His yeah. back, which has been fused, I don't know how many times. But you could see the pain in the leg when he was trying to walk back to the bag on one of the holes and you're just thinking, geez, mate, pull yeah. out. I mean, this is just getting too much, too yep. much. And when he's when he's squatting down to pick the ball out of the hole and he's just getting back up, I mean, he's literally just getting back up. It was, it, it, it's a shame that such a, a minute part of the game, which is just literally walking, mm. is, you know, possibly going to be his undoing because yeah. he's able to still hit all the shots. Nick, you've said in previous podcasts that he, there's no way he would ever use a cart. No. He, he wouldn't do it. No, no. My question for you, both of you, is if he had used, and I only said he wouldn't do it and he didn't do it, if he had used a cart at Augusta, if he was able to and wanted to, could he have finished the tournament? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, he, he probably he would have won the tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he, his golf is good enough to almost win these days, but in the spirit of the game, the golf carts aren't allowed because it's a walking game and things like that unless you have a, a medical condition. What was it? Casey Martin won Casey a court Martin. case many, many yep. years ago for a degenerative uh, leg issue that he had. Now, you could say Tiger's also got the same thing. So, Nick, back to the golf course, the 13th hole. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that was a big controversy going into the event. They lengthened it 35 yards and, again, the tee box looked as though it had been there for 100 years. Too. It's just incredible the way they change things around there. Uh, I, again, with the technology and as far as the players are hitting the ball now, I thought it worked out beautifully. I mean, with the weather the way it was, even the long hitters couldn't get there on um, one of the days, maybe Saturday, and how cold it was. Now, yep. so be it. It just yeah. turns into a three-shot hole. But obviously what, the, um, what they were trying to do was to bring it back to the way it used to be played where you're hitting mid-irons, long irons, even a, a wood in there, which yep. we saw over the course of the tournament. And I just thought it made for a fantastic golf hole. And the tee shot, i tell you what, Ram hit on 13 on the Sunday yeah. when he drew one around the around the corner. I mean, for a guy that fades the ball, that was a gutsy move. And he, and he just stamped his authority on the golf tournament right there. But I love that golf hole. However long it is, it doesn't really bother me. We talk about the strategy of Augusta, and it was always talked about how for a right-hander, majority yeah. of players are obviously right-handers, it's a right-to-left golf course, right? If you look at most of those players now, they're moving the ball left mm. to right. Just about everyone I watch this week is moving the ball left to right, again, right-hander, yep. with their drivers. All the right-to-left holes, they're using the three, three woods. Wood. And we never talk about technology and what it's done to three woods. Mm. Three woods go so far now. <laughs> three woods are, a hook three wood goes like a driver, doesn't it? They do it down 10. Look yep. how far down 10 they're hitting their three woods. Yep. Look at, they're all drawing it or trying to draw it around the corner a little bit on 13, although it's you know, not very yeah. far around the corner anymore. It's very interesting what three woods are doing to that golf course. Yeah, I, th I think so. And the only other hole really where you need that draw shape might be 14. And I just saw a lot of players still hitting the fade down there, yeah. but they were running into the right rough and things like that. So, but that's technology. You know, uh, did we talk about last week, I think uh, Mark mentioned something Faldo said about the height of the tee. Let's make the tee like four centimetres high so that the faces would have to be shallow, which is basically, remember the old two woods we used it's, to it's, use it's back in the exactly. day? Exactly. Um, what was it a spoon, <laughs> the brassy, the spoon, something like that? You know, yeah. the, the twelve degree. That's it. The guys would be hitting them just as far in no time. Just about, I would say, yeah. But the thing is, I don't think they could go at them as hard because the sweet spot hopefully would be smaller. Things like that. But that's a whole other podcast question.
question, it I is, think. It is. We uh, won't go there. In that regard. But the funny thing is off the tee there, you don't really need to shape it much except for, as you were saying, 10, uh, 14. Yeah. Uh, even five, which is a dog leg left, you don't really need to, to shape it around. I think you're just smashing driver off the tee in most cases. Yeah. If you do need to draw it, well, then get the three wood out. But it really is a second shot golf course where you need to fade it, draw it, things like that. Now, the guys who are a bit one-dimensional with the irons, I think they will struggle. Although Morikawa was a bit one-dimensional and he still had a good week. Yep. Ram, as we saw, I didn't know he could work the ball both ways as much as he did. That was mm. great to see. It was. Kepka can certainly do it with his irons. But at the same time, the golf course played very soft and that also plays more into the hands of uh, of the bombers and the guys who are a bit more one-dimensional. I think uh, when that place firms up, players like Spieth, yep. uh, you know, Mickelson as we saw, yep. uh, that's when their creativity and the, and the artistry comes into playing the golf course for sure. A little bit frustrating. It was so soft. And one of our gripes here in this country about American golf is how soft – it's become over the years. Mm. Obviously, the weather this time. There's nothing they much could do, they could do yeah. about it. But I'll tell you what: how they got the golf tournament, golf tournament finished in four days. Yeah. That just goes mm. to show about the sub air, doesn't it? I mean, wow, unbelievable! It's incredible what you they know, spent on it. Brooks Kepka. It's one thing to lead a tournament early on and win the golf tournament. That's a hard thing to do for anyone. Then you throw one of the worst patches of weather, 40-degree weather. <laughs> How much harder, in your opinion, Nick, does that make it when you're leading and, and all of a sudden you're dealing with just immense weather, which now you not only have to have your game in shape, but you've got to be prepared physically, mentally for that weather. Does it match your skills also? What do you like at playing mm. in, in layers and jackets? And it's a whole nother... Um, layer. There's a whole other element on top of the four days for you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's the beauty of the game of golf, isn't it? You know True. I mean? I mean, professional golfers, you have to be what I call it a professional adapter because that's what elite tour pros are really good at. They've yep. got to adapt to the conditions day in, day out. In a way, I think when conditions get really worse and you are leading, um, it almost increases your chances of winning because the guys behind can't quite make up the ground. You've only just got to hold steady, I think. Plus, if you're leading – it means you're playing really well. Yes, <laughs> yes. Whereas everyone else has got to try and catch you. And now if the conditions are perfect and soft and all nice, if you don't, you know, keep keep things going and keep that hot run going, which can happen, yep. then all of a sudden everyone closes in on you. I think when the weather gets worse, it's not easy to win, yep. but I think um, there's a wider gap between the chasing pack, I would yep. think, and the guys that are closest to you, they're the ones that, uh, that have the best chance of, uh, of overtaking you. I would just throw on top of that, and you've, we've seen it in British Opens, mm where it's okay, you don't want it to be calm because, like you said, the Americans will start shooting 62s mm-hmm. and, and they'll lap everyone because that's the way they love it. Two-club win, three-club win, brilliant. But when it gets to be that absolute just hurricane <laughs> and you can't control where the ball's, you know, you, you can't even control the club head at the top, let alone where the ball's going, yeah. now it becomes a little bit like survival mode and when you, all I'm saying is when you're leading a tournament and suddenly the weather is now survival mode, not just tough, survival mode, that, that to me is another layer that's, that's brutal that it, not many people can do. Oh, it is. And, and it probably played very well into the hands of Ram because his golf swing is so short and fast. I mean, he hardly yeah. even gets it above <laughs> hip height on the way back. So all of a sudden, don't have to worry about the top of the backswing where it's going. So, okay, well, we've got through the first couple of days there. We're coming into the turn right now. And after the turn, we're going to talk about... About uh, one of the guys that is inspiring our top five today, Phil Mickelson, uh, over 50 golfer. Amazing mm. effort by 
the now live golfer, former PGA <laughs> Tour player. And he's, what has he won? Three green jackets, I think, around out there. Yes. Hasn't he? Masters. It was an amazing effort. But uh, all right, let's get a snack and a beverage and we'll see you on the 10th tee. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, if you haven't checked out the Golf Clearance Outlet, then you, I can guarantee you this, are missing out. And if you have, well, you know what we're talking about. Great time to drop in because with all the new equipment released in January, good old Sam at the Golf Clearance Outlet is licking his lips because the stores are chock full of 2023 branded clearance product. And you know that was a hell of a year for golf equipment, Nick. You're spot on there, Mark. There's heaps of gear for righties, of course. But as you know, I am a lefty, so there's a heap of gear for lefties mm. as well and plenty for both men and women and if you're after a great Prezi idea, you can get gift cards in-store or online. So if you're looking for great golf gear and great prices, the Golf Clearance Outlet needs to be in your plans to go and check it out. See the team in-store at Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane and Perth or online, golfclearanceoutlet.com.au. It's that simple, Nick. Can't wait. Hang on, hang on, Nick. I thought you were riding putting now. Oh, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you are all across Watch My Numbers. You are all over this like a rash. It does look pretty impressive. Look, one of the things I missed from my career that Nick enjoyed was having stats available. I never got it except, of course, for Sand Saves where I was number one. But I never got the look at how close I was hitting my five irons, where my miss was with my driver. I never got it. And it was always just in my head. I didn't actually know the facts. And with Watch My Numbers, it's no longer a feel thing. It is a factual guide to what you are doing in the game. And, Nick, mm. you knew how powerful that was playing in the U.S. Tour. Yeah, we had what was called ShotLink over there, but I wish I'd have had this sort of an app for myself because, weirdly, I was very much a field player and I kind of stayed away from the statistics. But looking back, if I'd have had this, who knows? So it's got the pro level. It's got the elite level. It's got the low handicapper, the high handicapper. It covers everybody, and your stats will be assessed at your level and you'll be pushed into the right direction because of the watch my numbers app it's a beauty folks and i highly highly recommend it i was on it the other day and uh, subscribers get extra bonus content including videos from you mark doing some stuff as well. <laughs> why are you laughing man? <laughs> why are you laughing hey by the way do you do it during or the round or after either way oh really yeah you can do it right there and then or you finish your round and you put your own data in so nice. you might have had a 150 meter seven iron on the third hole at metropolitan golf club put where you hit it from you mark where it went to and then you've got the real-time data at your fingertips anytime you want from that point forward. Watch My Numbers helps you master your game and play smarter by using data. You're listening to Nico Hearn and guest co-host Craig Spence. If you're enjoying the pod, share it with a friend and help spread the word. This is the Talk Birdie to Me podcast. 
All right, starting the back nine now, we've got uh, my co-host today, Craig Spence, who's filling in for Mark Allen, who's uh, got a week or two off for a scheduled clean-up at the moment. So let's talk Phil Mickelson, Craig. Yep. What an effort that was by Extraordinary. him. Extraordinary. Especially after coming into this golf tournament. Yeah. No form. Yeah. Okay. Played, you know, these live golf events, which he's been doing the past year, playing horrific, finishing towards the bottom of the field, very quiet at the champion's dinner. Yeah. Apparently he didn't say a word. Yes. I don't know if he was just secretly thinking, I'm playing so good, I'm not going to say anything, or he just thought, I don't know where the ball's going at yep. the moment. But every time he shows up at this place, something special happens. I mean, he just has that that feel of the golf course when he gets inside the gallery, well, when he gets inside the gates there and he starts mm. getting the vibes from the patrons. I mean, early on, I think there was probably the odd jab or two from people, but yep. they just warmed up to him as it went along. And that last round that he played with Spieth was something magical. It was awesome. You know, Phil's not himself in a lot of ways these days. No. You know, he's lost, he's lost all Physically. that weight, right? Doesn't look himself. He didn't sound himself in the interviews at the start of the week. He didn't, feel, he didn't sound confident. I listened to Brandle and the guys on that on the on the golf show. They commented about this is not the same Phil. He's not as confident. He's not as he's not himself anymore. But when he got rocking out there, mm. and like you said, that last round, he had a lot to prove. You could see he had a lot to prove. And I think the fist bump on the last when he held that six or eight footer or whatever it was across this tiny little bit of left or right down the hill. He really pumped as though he'd yep. almost won a tournament and he was still in the tournament at this point. I think he believed he could win it. Yes, no doubt, because you never know what's going to happen. Mm. Although you've got two guys that probably aren't going to come that far back to you, but, or, you know, what was Ram on so, at that point? Well, okay, so at the time, we, you know, we sort of glossed over a little bit about Ram, what he did as well, so we mm. should talk about him as we talk about Mickelson here. But uh, at that particular point when he made that putt, he was eight under par, I think Kepka was eight under at the same yes. time and Ram was just playing 10 and he was 10 under. Yep. So he was coming into Amen Corner and that morning when they went out to restart the third round, he'd shot 38 on the back nine. Yeah. Now, obviously, conditions were different. It had warmed up and we thought, hang on, here we go. But yep. then Ram, I tell you what, on 10, well, pretty much from the seventh hole onwards, he did not miss a shot. No. I mean, he, he hit, a, hit a shot into six, the par three, came back down the hill, Good par there, but from seven on, he made bogey on nine, but he actually had two good shots in there, I thought. Yeah. was a little bit unlucky. But the shots he hit into 10, 11, 12, that was the golf tournament almost. In, well, not in a way, but, you know, quality, middle of the green oh. stuff, didn't flirt with the flag on 11 or 12, which yeah. is a huge danger. Smart. The draw on 11, uh, sorry, on 13, the tee shot, I mean, that was unbelievable. He missed that green in the right spot. Didn't leave yeah. himself in a great chip, but he got it up and down. Yeah. And then the shot of the tournament, I think, for him, um, which he probably said afterwards, it was his second shot into uh, 14 where he, he made that birdie and then just parred in and, and no one could catch him. Yeah, and that was from the right rough, wasn't it? The shot yeah. into 14 where he, he, he used the, the famous the slope, brought yeah. it down to the pin. I don't think it was that hard a shot, did you? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I've that, never hit that shot, no. but you have. Well, well let me uh, let, let me paint the picture for you. I thought it was a bit longer than what it was. It was 128 metres, he said. Now, I'm, right. I'm glad he's, he's using metres too, by the way, because yeah, they all yeah, talk in yards. That's good. I'm still in metres. Yeah. And he had a little three-quarter punch eight iron. Yep. Okay. Uh, and he worked it off the slope. The pin was sort of in the middle. They have all these different layers to that green. Yeah. And, and he said this beautiful baby cut just needed to carry the front of the green, which is a massive steep slope there. Yeah. I mean, it's so steep, it's ridiculous. Short of that green is just no good. 
And then it ball just fed and fed and fed. And, and pretty much from then on, 15, he knew he didn't have to go for the green in two if he didn't hit a perfect drive, which yep. he kind of flared the drive a little bit. Yep. 16, pure iron shot, yep. played 17 beautifully. And then, and then on 18, uh, yeah, hitting the, uh, the low cut and just decided to hit a low pull. I think what you're trying to say there, or what I'm reading, is the shot he hit into 10, 11, 12, all exactly mm. where he should have hit them. Yes. Right? Where with a, he's with leading the golf tournament. Perfect. He played every shot exactly as he should have the entire way home. Yep. And he stamped his authority on Kepka as well because I think he got the tee on the fourth hole. Uh, he was still trailing at this stage, but he, he birdied um, – did he birdie four? No, he birdied three. So he got the tee first yep. on, on four. And this is important, by the way. When you get the tee, yep. when you're playing almost in a head-to-head match, which is pretty much what it was at it that was. stage, you start to control. Yep. And all of a sudden, we've got two alpha males, yep. John Rahm and Brooks Koepka, yep. big guys, and one of them just started showing his dominance more than the other. I, th- yeah. I saw Ram walking off the tee first, getting to the tee first, things like that, just standing there, really showing his confidence. Uh, and that just carried on through the golf. And you'd sort of see Kepka was a little bit in two minds about his game, wasn't quite on song as well. And, yeah. I mean, they had to stand there for quite a while on some of the tees because I tell you what, the wow. person in front, Patrick Cantley, my goodness, He's that was not slow. popular. This <laughs> he is not popular at the moment. No. What do you need? What do you think they need to do there? Penalty strokes? Well, why didn't they? I mean, wow. I, di- I didn't actually see how far behind the group in front they were. They weren't that far because I think because they, in two, they had two balls rather than three balls they'd right. done, and they'd done the U draw. So there yep. was a bit of bunching going on. However, yep. he's slow anyway yep. and, and it just takes forever. And I, I think they really need to start penalising strokes rather than the fines because now at the moment it's fines, I believe. Yeah. And that doesn't matter for these guys. Yeah, I think if you – I remember they used to come out and they would – say to you straight away, you're on the clock, mm. right? And that put the fear in me. I was basically hitting it on the run because I, in those days, if it was a $5,000 fine, I, I didn't really want to feel like paying <laughs> No, that. I know. Whereas these guys, <laughs> these days, wouldn't care about a $5,000 no. fine. No. I think for sure, I think they should go out and give them a stern warning. You are now in, you know, yep. um, caution zone. If you get another penalty or another warning, you are now penalised one stroke. Just yep. make it simple. Yeah. Let's and, get it. And that will speed up play no end, I'm sure. Yep. Okay, now we need to get on to our top five, inspired by Phil Mickelson, as we were talking about a little bit earlier. And this week, it's the top five golfers over the age of 50. Ooh. Okay, so... Top five golfers, because Phil obviously shot the 65. He is 52. Now, he's in this list, but I'm going to start this a little different. I'm going to give a special mention. He didn't make the top five, but a special mention to someone that we know very well yeah. who's playing some unbelievable golf at the moment in the US, Steve Olker, yeah. the New Zealander. I mean, yep. a journeyman pro. Yeah. Uh, I think he won three times here on the Australasian Tour many years ago. Maybe had a few web.com or Corn Ferry Tour wins, as yep. it's now called, but never won on the main tour. Was always up and down. Yeah. But he won the Charles Schwab Cup in 2022. Won five times, won a major over there. It was just unbelievable on the Champions Tour, and he did it through Monday qualifying and then top ten. So mm. I've got to give a special mention to Steve. He's one of awesome. the loveliest guys out yep. there to do. Anyway, okay, number five, and it's mainly just because I want to swing it like this guy. He's just Mr. Cool, Freddie Couples. I mean, how can yeah. you – How can? and yeah. plus uh, he became the oldest player to make the cut at Augusta at the age of yeah. 63. I mean, that is just insane. The joke. 1992 Masters champion – uh, what has he won? 14 times on the Champions Tour, two two majors on it as well. He's just he's just a cool bloke and he's a great – I got to play with him quite a bit in the US and he's 
Good fun. He, he is as cool as he looks, is trust he? me. Yeah. yeah. Very laid back. But that goal swing, I mean, it's timeless. Yeah. The only issue for it him is. was back problems um, yeah. over the years. He kind of got past that to some degree, considering, yeah. you know, you know, when he was in his th- late 30s, mid-30s, mm. he was he was pulling out of tournaments left, right and centre. Yeah. And all of a sudden he was in his 40s, late 40s, yeah. and he was, you know, playing a lot. So. Maybe he found the magic elixir. Yep. I don't know. All right, number four. We're going to go with Phil Mickelson just because, you know, he did finish, uh, what did he, he was the oldest guy to finish top five, I think, at the Masters. I think Jack did it at 58. He was sixth when he was 58. But anyway, Phil, he's 52 currently. Um, a lot of, made, you know, wins, six majors, obviously. He's played six events on the Champions Tour in the US and he's won four of them. So he's four oh. from six and then he went to live. So he's at a 66.6% winning percentage. Not bad, really. And the thing I'd say about Phil is, is he's always, if you, if you ever look at his career... He's gone through spurts of, of form that run for months, you know. Mm. Sometimes he'll go missing for months. Oh, he will. Which Tiger never tended to, right? But then Phil will show up and he'll just go win, win, and he'll just go on for weeks into months, mm. into months where he's just winning either every time or every second or third time. I'll be interested to see how he goes, but mm. I reckon that's a great call. I think he's... Very, he's only he's early one of the 50s. Great, yeah. He's one of the greats of the game. He's only early 50s, so... Yep. Someone who, uh, you know, who's obviously a legend in the Australian golf is Peter Thompson, the late great. Um, he was incredible throughout his career, obviously, five times as they called him. However, he went across to play the uh, Seniors Tour when it was called that over the air, mainly because I, I think he'd heard the American players didn't really think much of Peter, you know, as far as, oh, well, he's he never really played much over yes. here. So he decided to go over and... In his first year, I think he went at the end of one year and he won twice. One of them was a major. Yep. And then the next year he decided to win nine times. Yep. So that's not – maybe we should call him nine times. <laughs> I don't know. But Okay. So number two, uh, Hale Irwin. Yeah. Hale Irwin. And the reason I'm saying this is he's had the most Champions Tour wins – sorry, tied most Champions Tour wins on the uh, over there in the US uh, at 45 wins after the age of 50. I mean, mm. that is insane. He's 77 now. Uh, he won three US Opens, and I think when he was early 50s, they were talking about him as a President's Cup pick. I mean, just that showed you how good he was playing yeah. at that time. So yeah. number two, Hale Irwin, bit of a funky action, but worked for him. Number one, it's got to be this. German engineering, right? Yeah. Bernard yeah. Langer. Uh, yeah, Incredible. tied with Hale Irwin at 45 wins, still hasn't got it done. Uh, won a couple of Masters, obviously. Anchors the putter like us, or you, like yes. we used to, Craig. Yes. Now we've played a lot of social golf. Still now. tends to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that was my next thing I was going to ask you, actually. So, so you went, you've you used the broomstick. Yes. Uh, you know, obviously you hold that three foot, or was it two foot putt to win the Masters? Uh, three, three, three and, and foot, a half, four yeah. foot, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> was it the greatest six I ever hit uh, on the final hole? Possibly. Maybe Craig Perry might argue. He held one at Doral, didn't he? On the yes. six iron. Yeah. Oh, well, Second I'd greatest. Definitely give there that to go. Paz. Okay, yeah, fair call. Because anyway. it was a US tour event. So. <laughs> but you went away from the long putt. Obviously, now you don't play professionally don't play anymore. Professionally, yeah. ne- neither do I. I'm using the short putter, right handed one. Yep. Wanger. Still uses the broomstick, yep. anchoring, not anchoring. What, what do you think about the whole thing? Should they get rid of the long putter or at, a, at the professional level or, or what's the solution? Because That's he, a good question. He is anchoring, isn't he? He is definitely anchoring. Yeah. And, and it's in the rule though. I think if you, if you don't intend to anchor, then you're okay. Yep. Now they may come to him and say, look, we caught you on tape. You know, we, yep. you are anchoring. He's yep. oh, sorry, I didn't intend to. Well, then he's obviously not breaking the rules. So what's yeah, the solution? I mean, you look at, you look at the way Scotty's putting – and he's clearly not anchoring, mm. but you can see that is not, as you and I knew, that is not the intention of the golf body's vision for putting when they look at it, right? Yep. They don't want 
shafts six foot long and they don't want guys holding that way and obviously we knew that. However, you can't try and crucify someone and then bugger it up for everyone else who's trying to do it the right way. I don't think this – it should be the shortest club in the bag works because, no? okay. you know, that's, Ray Floyd, for instance. That's my theory. Raymond Floyd always loved to use a fairly long putty, loved to stand very tall. Cabrera was the same yep, too. They really like to use long putters. Up yep. the, be right up near their belly button virtually. You just need a longer sandwich, that's all. <laughs> True. Yeah, he'd be using a, uh, a five-iron sandwich. Uh, you could do that. That'd be fine. That mm. would fix the problem. Sure. It'd be a shame because it, it's a shame that it – you know, you have to tell someone exactly how long the club needs to be, but yeah. so be it if oh, that's well. what they need to do. Any notable omissions, Craig, do you think, from Nick's top five? No, I thought that was pretty good. As long as he got Langer in there, who was no. – I was waiting to hear his name, the great the great man. I should say, whilst he anchors now, he did overcome the yips about 12 different times, 12 different ways. Yeah, so that's he's true. he's an amazing guy. Yeah. He changed his grip every second week on tour. It, he, he was the one that did the anchoring to the yeah, left arm left first. Arm, that's right. He yep. cross-handed. He went back yep. to normal. He, the only thing I never saw him do was actually claw it, like that's like true. a Cristomarco style or a, or a you know. I wonder if he's tried that because uh, if they do change the rules again and maybe make it the shortest club or something, that that'll that'll be the, yeah. the next option for him. Uh, I would imagine. All right, so that was the top five. Uh, we should get back to the Masters here since that's what we're meant to be talking about. Uh, yep. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Rory and JT. Definite omissions who uh, who didn't make the cut. I mean, yeah. uh, I, Rory obviously trying to complete the grand the career Grand Slam. He comes into this tournament every single year and you can almost see the pressure on him. And he's had a big year, obviously, because he's almost like the stand-in commissioner on the PGA Tour at the yeah, moment. Yeah, he is. he's front and centre every week, you know, talking about live golf and the PGA Tour and all that. So he must be exhausted. And I yeah. just saw he, he's uh, he's pulled out of Hilton Head as yep. well. Saw um, that. Which, you know, um, for whatever reason that is, we don't quite yet know. Um, it was a shame because I really hope he does it one day. Yeah. He deserves to. Um, I have heard speculation that his ball flight – which I don't know whether that's fair or not, the right-to-left shape the mm. in, or the inside sort of he gets the club a little inside, whether that doesn't work very well at Augusta. You've got a lot of hanging lies. You've got a lot of... Yeah. I, yeah, mean, saw, I saw him on 13 actually when he hit a nice drive on the second day or something and he just hit a massive pull-off. Yes. I mean, it was a horrible shot. 13's a bad hole for his, yeah. you know, potentially for his inside path, if you like. On the halfway down, he does get the club a little bit inside and sort of stuck mm. at times. Again, I'm criticising <laughs> what I think is one of the great swings and players yeah. of all time or in the modern time anyway. Yeah. I've, um, got a, I've got a theory about his putting, but I'm going to save that for another time when we, we get into the top five putting maybe masterclass. So that's uh, mm. for another episode, that one. So anyway. But, but he has nearly, you know, he, he has led the Masters. He's had a bad experience quite a few years ago. Mm. He's got a lot more, um, you know, maturity now. Got a bit of baggage there, hasn't he? If I had to make a call, I think he'll probably get one. Um, but they only he, he might only get one or two more chances. Yeah, well, what is There's he? There's not many. Must be mid to late 30s now. Yeah. He's, yeah, well, he's fit as an ox too. I mean, but strong it, as an ox, should I say. He um, might get five more chances, but the chances are he might only get a couple. Yeah, no, exactly. Who knows? The other player, I think that, uh, I mean, he looked like he'd been to a funeral basically when he walked off 18th green with Justin <laughs> Thomas. I mean, he was six over his last eight holes to miss the cut. And right. That really surprised me because I held yeah. some pretty high hopes for him because he's very, yeah. very good, you know, shaping the ball and working it. So uh, that was a bit of a shame. Uh, from the Aussies, unfortunately, it wasn't a great week for the Aussies. We had uh, 
best of them, Cameron Smith tied 34, uh, Jason Day and Adam Scott tied for 39th, and then um, Harrison Crow and Minwoo Lee both missing the cut. It showed promise for Jason Day, uh, as well as Scotty. I think after the first round, they both shot 68s, but then just progressively, unfortunately, got worse. Did you see much of uh, the Aussies? I didn't. I didn't. I just saw highlights of their mm. games. Um, you know, I, I did happen to catch a, uh, a discussion around what Jason Day is working on in his golf swing at the moment. <laughs> And I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's about seven what? different things he's trying to match up. I thought I saw that. Yeah. That to me is never going to work under the gun. However, he is on the road back, so maybe he's now simplifying it all, okay. and it's starting to. So maybe three out. or four things. Yeah. Do. <laughs> I mean, it's still, if he can, if he can get it down to two or three things, but they're very subtle, more awareness things. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be if if it's as difficult as what he spoke about. The, you know the down the top of the swing the downswing the follow through if it's a different that's too hard to match that all up in yeah. my opinion yeah. can I just say one quick I, I meant to bring this up earlier mm. the amateur um, Bennett oh yes I just wanted to say it's a unique swing but I loved his golf swing yep. I just love the way he moves through that ball yes he gets it a little bit deep and on the inside on the backswing yeah walking Neiman through the ball you know yeah, how low yeah he got but he just he just gets that right side under and just sweeps through it beautifully. I loved it. Unfortunately, I think Karma got him because he shot yeah. 68, 68 and then went into the press room and said, because he just won the US Amateur. <laughs> said I was going to win, did he? Well, he said he's there to win, right? right. However, Uh-oh. where he won the US Amateur was it at the Ridgewood, I think it was, and he said, oh, you know, Ridgewood's much tougher than this place. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> not the Silly. best thing to say at a press conference but, at Augusta uh, National. Yeah, Great, um, great action. He could be, uh, I'm, I'm assuming he's turning pro soon. I think he hinted at that. Well, the funny thing was, uh, after he finished the Sunday, he had to go out and play a college event on the Monday, 36 holes, carry his own bag. How's that? He just finished his tight 16th at the Masters, and he was contemplating about pulling out, but he said, you know what, I'm probably going to do it. Yeah, he should do it. (laughs) He's a golf nut. He's he's signed up, do it. Oh, yeah. And everyone's going to be basically, you know, picking his brain all week about what an an awesome effort. Uh, Great uh, stuff. Absolutely. All righty, time for the Masterclass. Okay, the masterclass this week has to do with one of the best shots that was hit, I think, at the Masters. It was John Rahm's 128-metre 8-iron, little three-quarter cut around the trees, onto the green. Basically, he hit this to, what, three feet, I think, and the tournament was almost over. The only thing after that he needed to do was get over the water on 15, pretty much, (laughs) which he did nicely. However, the way he hit that shot, it's just a a phenomenal golf shot to have in your arsenal if you do. And, And if you're a golfer, the way to hit this shot and I have a I have a favourite drill which can almost teach you how to hit this shot. It's called the five clubs to one flag or one target drill. You spoke about uh, Ben Hogan before hitting five clubs to the 16th green, right? Well, this is a great drill to do. Pick something out about 120 metres out, 150 metres out if you like. Say it's 120 metres and your nine iron might go 120 metres. Well, use your nine iron, your eight iron, your seven iron, your six iron and your five iron. Take five different clubs and try and get that pin high. So... To get those longer clubs pin high, you're trying to hit a little three-quarter, even a half knockdown shot. Narrow the stance up a little bit. Say you've got a six iron in your hand and you're trying to hit it 120 metres. You've got two, maybe three clubs more than what you normally would have. Narrow the stance a little bit. Put a little bit of weight in the left-hand side. Aim a little further left of the target as well. If you're a right-handed golfer, you may want to even open the face a touch as well. And then as you're swinging through the ball, Keep that face open, okay? You're going to rotate the body a little bit more through. You're going to have a slightly shorter backswing, obviously, because if you have the long backswing and then you decelerate it, 
because that's what happens in these sorts of things. A lot of people, they take the full swing and then they slow down when they want to try and hit a three-quarter shot. Take a shorter backswing, keep the acceleration up. The length of the backswing will determine how far the ball will go. But hold that face open, rotate around to the left, and you should get that nice little low flight with a bit of left-to-right spin, and maybe you'll even knock it to three feet like John Rahm. So you're going to do a video for uh, everyone out there, Nick? I'm going to show the left-handed version. Actually, you know what? I might even flip it to right-handed because I can do that on my iPhone these days. I'm going to post that to social so everyone can see what a right-handed Nick O'Hearn looks like. Well, Craig, thanks for helping out, mate. Uh, Really appreciating you uh, coming in for Mark. No worries. It's just great to hear that you're watching golf again. Yeah, I loved it. (laughs) Um, I'll have to get onto the um, Heritage this week as well. Absolutely, and we'll have a game soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Live from the Australian Golf Centre, home of the PGA of Australia and Golf Australia, that was Nick O'Hearn and Mark Allen's podcast, Talk Birdie to Me, with our special guest co-host today, Craig Spence, 14-year touring pro and winner of the 1999 Australian Masters. That's not bad. Talk Birdie to Me's executive producer is Dan Bradley at Kaizen Media. Sound design by Daryl Misson at loudzebra.com. 